Well, good morning, Harvest family, and uh, so glad to be worshiping with you again this Sunday. And uh, if you're maybe new to Harvest, maybe you found us online or were invited by a friend, we're really, really glad that you're here with us as well. And we wanted to continue to worship the Lord right now through the study of his word. So grab your Bibles with me, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 16. Um, We've been working our way through the book of Acts this year, and it's just been so awesome to see God meet us time and time again, and just with the most uh, relevant messages for that season of our lives and our church. And so right now, he's going to do the same thing. We're working through this new series called Jesus is Bigger. And we're going to see through these several chapters of Acts how Jesus is bigger than all the things in our life, all the things that come against us, all the victories, all the hurts, all the suffering, all the, it's just, he's bigger than all of that. And he's truly what we need. And today we're going to see three people in the story that all encounter Jesus and they find out that Jesus is bigger than their status. That no matter who they are, no matter where they are, that Jesus loves them and has a place for them. And I hope that that resonates with your heart today as well. So turn with me, Acts chapter 16. We're going to be starting in verse 14 together. So um, we have a little dog in our house named Molly. Um, she's uh, been our dog now for 15 years. So you, as you can imagine, through the years, uh, she's um, really grown with our family, and she's went through lots of different stages of life. She's had lots of different statuses in our family at different times. I remember when we first got her, she was just a little puppy, and like most puppies, she chewed on everything. Uh, we still have baby gates, and we have uh, luggage, and we have kennels that have her teeth marks all over them because she was just a rambunctious little puppy. But even then, she was our puppy, and we loved her. And so that was her status in our family. And then she kind of grew out of the puppy stage and she became more of a mature dog. But even then, she wanted us to know that she was in charge and that she was the boss. And so she would just periodically, randomly, uh, pee or poop all over the house and let us know that she was still uh, in charge of things. And so even in that stage, and that status of being a rebellious dog, we still loved her. She was still our dog. And then kids came into the house, um, which probably made her then like the demoted dog. You know what I'm talking about? All the little companions came in, and she didn't really know what to think about all these little ones. Um, They were loud, and they smelled, and um, they pulled her fur, and and she did not get nearly as much attention from us as she used to, and she kind of became the neglected dog. But even in that season when we couldn't give her the attention that she was used to, we still loved her because she was our dog. And now, as we're 15 years in, she's become the aging dog. Um, in fact, just this week, well, me and the girls were going to go for a walk uh, one day, and we decided to take Molly with us. She doesn't get a whole lot of walks around our house, unfortunately. So let's, let's take Molly for a walk. And so we start going around the neighborhood, and it was less than a mile. And just to kind of give you a hint of how little she gets walked, um, we went around the neighborhood. We were coming by one of our neighbor's houses, and they were sitting out in the front lawn eating uh, lunch or doing something and, and they said oh hey how you doing and so we started you know kind of small talking and talking a little bit and they're like oh is, is did you get a new dog is this your new dog and I was like uh no <laughs> uh, we've had her for 15 years uh we just she just doesn't get out much so I can tell you how little we walk Molly unfortunately in our in our uh, house in our neighborhood but anyways we finish our walk we get back to the house and Molly starts limping around for like two days Like, her old 15-year-old legs just couldn't handle all the activity. Um, But even as an aging dog, even as um, this, this, uh, this dog who's kind of coming to the end of her days, um, we still love her, and she's still our dog. And her status has changed multiple times throughout her lifetime and throughout her years with us, but at every stage, at every status, we still loved her. It didn't change our love for her. 
Jesus is the same way with you and I. We go through lots of different stages of life. We go through lots of different stages in our relationship with Jesus. We have different status at different times. But through all of it, Jesus still loves us. Through the ups, through the downs, through the good, through the bad, my status never positions me beyond the love of the Savior. My status never positions me beyond the love of the Savior. And so that's what we're going to see with these people here in the story of Acts today. In verse 14 is where we're going to pick up. So look with me now, Acts 16, verse 14. It says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the first status I want you to see here through Lydia is that success can't replace my need for Jesus. Success cannot replace my need for Jesus. So Lydia here um, is from, currently in Philippi, where she hears the gospel from Paul, but she was originally from Thyatira. Right? Thyatira was a city in Asia known for its purple dyes, for its expensive dyes and expensive clothing that they would make. And, and so she's from there, but now she's in Philippi, which tells me that she's kind of this successful jet-setter, businesswoman, right? Like she's going back and forth city to city selling these goods and she has one crib in Philippi and one crib in Thyatira and she is living the life, man. She is on top of it. She's well connected. It says right here, she's a seller of purple, which would have been a high-end fabric, which would have been a high-end business, which means she was flush with cash. And her home there in Philippi is so big, they actually use it to start the first church there that Paul plants. So Lydia was definitely in the upper class of her day. She's doing well. But it also says here that she was a worshiper of God. Right? She, that not only did she worship God, but the Lord opened her heart for her to understand and believe in Jesus and believe in the gospel. So despite her wealth, despite all of her success, despite her great status, she still knew that she needed Jesus. And I think this is something that sometimes we wrestle with in our culture. And sometimes we think that affluence or wealth excludes us from Jesus, but it doesn't. Some people think that wealth excludes you from Jesus because being rich is wrong, right? If you're rich, that means that you're somehow crooked or you've, you know, taken advantage of other people. And so therefore you can't follow Jesus because you're rich. That's definitely not true. Your wealth does not exclude you from your need for Jesus. Secondly, some people think that it's um, exclude you from Jesus because rich is right. Because if you're rich, you have everything you need. So you don't really need Jesus. And as long as you're on top, then you're good to go. But as we can see from Lydia here, that's not really true either. And in fact, when Jesus was on earth, when he was doing his ministry, he actually had several things to say about um, the wealthy. And he had one interaction specifically that I think is pertinent in Matthew 19. Jesus had this interaction with what the scripture just calls a rich man. So a rich man comes up and he approaches Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I obtain eternal life? How do I get that? And Jesus says, well, just like the law says, keep the commandments. And the guy responds, okay, well, which commandments? Which ones do I have to keep? And Jesus is like, all of them. That's how it works, right? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Ever since I was a kid, I've kept all the commandments and I'm good with that. What else do I need to do? And Jesus is first of all like, yeah, I don't think you've done that. But anyways, if you have... Go and sell all that you have and follow me. And it says that the rich man left sad. 
because he couldn't part with his possessions. He couldn't part with his wealth to follow Christ. He trusted more in his money than he did in Jesus. He viewed his physical needs as more essential than his spiritual needs. This was the heart of the problem for him. I think this is easy for all of us to do sometimes, right? We can get so caught up in our earthly lives that we neglect our spiritual lives. That is until our earthly lives come to a screeching halt because a virus infects the entire globe, right? And then when our earthly lives stop, things start to look different. And I hope that this current crisis is bringing some things into perspective, maybe opening our eyes and shining some light on the reality that our spiritual needs are actually more essential than our earthly needs. That there are some things that your soul craves and needs, that we need God, we need church, we need community, and when we don't have it, we wither away. A lot of you are feeling that tension right now. You're feeling that angst and just that that sorrow that you don't have those things as readily available in your life as you once did. And it puts our focus more on the spiritual because just like right now, all things in the world seem to be stopping, one day this world is going to go away and all of it's going to stop and all that's going to be left is eternity with God. And that's when we really need Jesus. And so right here, the rich man is struggling with that. Lydia got it, but he didn't get it. And so Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 23 of Matthew 19. He says this, listen to this. He says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So it says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and he said, listen to this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What's Jesus saying right here? He's simply saying this, listen, it's hard to trust in Jesus when I can trust in my money. It's hard for me to trust in Jesus when I can trust in my money. When I have enough and life's pretty good and I don't really need for anything, Sometimes it's hard to see that I still need Jesus. It's hard to see a spiritual need when I don't have any physical needs. But, don't miss how he ends it, but, he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. God still loves and he still calls affluent, successful people because they need Jesus just like everybody else. Listen, I'm not against success, I'm not against wealth. I'm not against killing it at your business. I'm for all of that. Like, go for it 100%. Use all the time and all the talent that God has given you to multiply your resources and then turn around and use that for him and for his glory and for his kingdom. I think that's awesome. The Bible is not against wealth and success. In fact, some of the the fathers of our faith, the patriarchs, were very well-to-do. This is not a bad thing. Money isn't the problem until... It comes between you and Jesus. That's when it becomes an issue. It becomes a problem when it blinds my eyes and it hardens my heart to where I think that I can handle this life on my own and I don't need Jesus anymore. And while there may be a a, a kernel of truth to that in this life, there's a day when this life's going to end. And when that happens, that philosophy of I don't need Jesus because I have everything else is going to fail miserably in the next life. My dad used to always say, you never see a hearse 
pulling a U-Haul. Right? Wealth is great for here and now, but you don't get to take it with you, and it doesn't serve you beyond this life. It doesn't last forever. Only faith in Jesus lasts forever. Lydia got that. I hope that we do too. Because no matter my success, I still need Jesus. So success is not a status that keeps me from needing Jesus. And then the second thing we see here in this story is that sin can't disqualify me from the love of Jesus. The next character here is going to show us that sin, no matter past, present, big, small, can't disqualify me from the love of Jesus. Look at verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So now we have a slave girl show up on the scene. And just by her title, we know that she's a slave. She's property, right? She's written off. She's, no, she's a nobody. She, we don't even get her name in the story because she's so low on the totem pole. But it says here that she brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So somebody, probably men, own her, and they're using her, and they're abusing her to make a profit for themselves, to benefit their own lives. She was being sinned against. Horribly, grievously abused and mocked and used for profit. And anytime someone is sinned against like that, most often it brings suffering. It brings shame. It brings severe hurt and and just scared and self-loathing and all these things that come and wreak havoc on our lives. And some of you who are listening to me right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've lived this life. You're the one who's been used or abused by someone else. You've suffered this fate. You've been deeply and grievously sinned against. And oftentimes when that happens, Satan likes, likes to take what was done against you and hold it over your head. Satan loves to come and shout lies into your ears that you are tarnished goods and that, that you are broken and that Jesus can't love you because of what has happened to you. And friends, I just want to tell you today from the bottom of my heart, that is not true. Satan is a liar. Do you hear me? He is a liar every time he speaks. Jesus never punishes us for sin that was done against us. That's not the way he works. Instead, he comes and he kneels down in the dirt next to us with compassion and mercy and grace, and he loves us back into his family. So this young slave girl, she's been sinned against, but not only that, she also has her own sin to deal with. It says that she was filled with a spirit of divination. She was controlled by the satanic evil spirits. And these evil spirits in the Bible, they're always manifestations of sin. We don't know exactly how she got her spirit. Was it due to her own sinful choices and her own sinful life that is now coming to bear this sinful uh, evil spirit? Or was it somebody else's sin against her? We're not sure, but we do know now that she is living in sin. She is controlled by and walking in the sin of this evil spirit. And she desperately needs a savior. That's her story. So look at what happens. Look at verse 17. So she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. (laughs) 
Why? Why is this slave girl with an evil spirit proclaiming that Paul is preaching the true gospel? Well, there's several theories. Perhaps she's trying to, to discredit Paul and discredit the gospel by associating it with this evil spirit. Perhaps it's trying to intimidate or usurp power by exposing them or getting them thrown out of the city or whatever. Perhaps they're just trying to mislead people into thinking that this God that Paul preaches is just another God in the big long list of gods, and he's not really the true God or anything special. We don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't tell us. But regardless, she keeps doing this day after day until Paul just can't stand it anymore. Look at verse 18. It says, And this this she kept doing for many days. And then Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Paul gets fed up. He's like, that's it. I can't take it anymore. It's been days of this. And he turns to her and he's like, listen, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to heal you. <laughs> Can you imagine the threat? Like, if you don't stop, I'm going to cast out this demon. And, and that's exactly what he does. I don't think he was really annoyed in the sense of, like, he can't stand her anymore. But just, he was annoyed by what was happening to her. He was indignant that she was being taken advantage of by it like this. And, and this wrong needed to be righted. And so he commands the spirit to come out. And immediately it does. She is immediately and fully, completely healed by Jesus. Because she was loved by Jesus. Despite her sinful past, despite her sinful present, she was loved. It didn't matter what she had done or what had been done against her. Jesus loved her and he saved her. Despite what you have done or what's been done against you, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you too. It doesn't matter the status of your sin. Unfortunately for Paul and Silas, her owners didn't feel the love that, that she was feeling. Look at verse 19. It says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. So for this healing, for this love that Paul and Silas showed, they got beaten and thrown in prison. Not quite the end. Maybe they were hoping or expecting. It's all because we got to deal with sin. There was once, uh, I, I met a man once and, and had a relationship several months. Um, he, was, he was terminally ill, um, on his deathbed, literally um, coming to the end of his life, and he knew it. And so I would go, we would talk, and I, I would meet with him, and he would talk about family, and he would talk about his life and the world. And, but most of the time, he wanted to talk about his past. He wanted to talk about his regrets. You see, he had lived a a rebellious and sinful life, and he carried this big burden of shame and guilt for everything that he had done in the past. And so over and over again, he would bring that up, and I would try to steer the conversation to Jesus. I would try to bring up the gospel and assure him that he could be forgiven. But every time I would, he would be like, no, no, no. How could God possibly forgive me after everything I've done? There's no way. There's no way God would forgive someone like me. And as we would talk, it was clear to me that he knew the gospel. 
He understood who Jesus was. He understood what he did on the cross. He got all of that, but he could not let himself believe that God's grace and Jesus' forgiveness could cover his sin. He wouldn't believe that Jesus loved a sinner like him. Some of you are there today, right now. Maybe you go to church regularly. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you pray every day. Or maybe you have no idea where even to start. Maybe you've heard this message a thousand times, and maybe this is the very first. Regardless, deep down inside, you don't believe that Jesus could really love or forgive a sinner like you. You know what you've done. You're like, Micah, I've failed as a father. I abandoned my family. There's no way that Jesus could love me. After all these years of addiction and drug abuse, there's no way Jesus could love me. After what that person did to me and how they used me, I am damaged goods. There is no way that Jesus could love me. Not after I took that baby's life. Not after my third divorce. Not after that one night stand. Not after the, the life full of lies that I live every day. No way could Jesus love me. can and he does and I'm here to tell you today that if you will just believe in him if you'll just receive his love and forgiveness you can be freed from all of that just like this little slave girl no matter the sin in my past I can find love in Jesus no matter what your sin is past or present you can find love in Jesus if you'll believe. So it doesn't matter how successful you are, you still need Jesus. It doesn't matter what your sin is, you can still find the love of Jesus. And then lastly today, shortcomings can't make, can't shake my hope in Jesus. My shortcomings, my failings, my struggles, that doesn't take away anything from the hope that I can have in Jesus. Look at the last person here in verse 24. Talking about the jailer now. It says, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So think about the jailer here for a second. He's received this order to put these guys in prison. He's just a normal everyday guy, right? This is just, he's just doing his job, right? Go to church, or go to work, punch the clock, keep your head down, get the work done, get paid so I can go home to my family. That's what he did every day. He's just surviving, right? So many of us know exactly what that's like. And so what is it today? Are these guys fine? I'll put them in prison. Put them in the inner prison, put stocks on them, put them in the hole, lock them down because these guys cannot get out. Keep them safe. All right, I'll do that. He was determined not to fail. Because he knew if he did, he was going to suffer their punishment. So he locks him down as much as he possibly can. And then look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So, So Paul and Silas, 
decide they're in prison, but hey, it's midnight. Let's have a prayer and worship party, right? I don't know if they just couldn't sleep because of the beatings they had. They were too sore or they knew they had a captive audience with all the prisoners, but they break out in prayer and song because they knew what we're talking about today, that Jesus is bigger than my status, even when that status means I'm in jail. So they start singing and worshiping and praying and God responds with an earthquake, like a divine miracle earthquake, not your normal earthquake. How do, how do we know? Well, it doesn't talk about any buildings being damaged or anything else happening. It just says the doors were opened and the chains fell off. That's not your normal earthquake. This was a miracle from God. And so evidently the earthquake then wakes up the jailer. Look at this. It says in verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So the jailer wakes up with the earthquake, which is, shows us his first failure. He fell asleep on the job. And then he proceeds to kill himself because he assumes the doors are open, the chains are off, all the prisoners have left. This is an epic failure. I have lost every prisoner in the jail. And now I'm going to be killed for it, so I might as well take care of it now. But Paul cries out. He says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all here. <laughs> Which is miracle number two, right? For the, the, the prison doors are open, the shackles are off, and none of the prisoners leave. That's a miracle. So the jailer can't believe it. He grabs the light. He rushes in among all these loose prisoners who probably want to hurt him. And trembling, he falls down at their feet, and he says, what must I do to be saved? He reached the end of his rope. He was doing this job day in and day out, clock in, clock out, same thing, trying to provide for the family, trying to make it right. And he just can't do it anymore. He needs some hope beyond this life. He needs Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to be saved? And they give him a very simple answer. Believe in Jesus. That's the heart of the whole thing. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what you and I need is to believe in Jesus because you and I, we're sinners. Just like everybody else in this story, we are broken sinners. We have sinful hearts. We choose sinful behaviors. We run after sinful choices. We rebel against God and do what we want to do. And because of that rebellion and that sin, we are separated from God and we are deserving of his wrath and death and hell. And there's no way for us to fix it. There's no way for us to get our, make ourselves perfect again. And so God, knowing that, sent his son Jesus to come and to be born, to live as a human on earth, a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. He took God's punishment for our sin, the wrath, the, the death, the, everything that we deserved. He took it on himself, and he died in our place for our sin. And he went into the tomb. And then three days later, he rose back to life to show us that he was God, to show us that we could be forgiven of our sin, that we could be saved if we would just believe in him. That's all it takes. And the jailer got it. He believed and he was saved and everything in his life changed. Look at verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. 
And then he brought them up in his, uh, into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So again, this is, this is a jailer. He's just your average, everyday, working Joe, trying to keep his job. But Jesus shows up and changes his life, and everything else changes. He takes the prisoners out of prison to his house, washes them up, feeds them, rejoices with them. Like, you don't do that. As a jailer, you take prisoners out to your house, you lose your job. But he was willing to risk all of it because he wasn't willing to risk his faith in Jesus. He had found new life-giving hope in the Savior, and he was not going to give that up for anything. You see, no matter my shortcomings, I can have hope in Jesus. No matter how you fail, no matter how you mess up, no matter, where, no matter what is going on in your life, you can still find hope in Jesus Christ if you'll believe. What's really shocking to me about this whole story is how different these three people were, right? Think about Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. Three completely different racial, national backgrounds, right? Lydia is this uh, Asian immigrant in Philippi. You've got the slave girl who's probably a, a, a Greek resident who's lived there her whole life and her family's been there for generations. You've got the jailer who is probably a Roman soldier that's come and retired there and is now working this job in the jail. They come from completely different backgrounds. They were socially different. You have Lydia who's upper class, the jailer, middle class working guy, and the slave girl who doesn't even own herself. That's how low she is. And then their personal lives, their personal needs. Lydia needed an intellectual understanding of the gospel so she could believe. The slave girl, she needed psychological escape from the, the control and the torment of evil men and evil spirits so that she could believe. The jailer had a moral need to be delivered from the day-to-day, -day, just get through life and get it done to a greater hope in Jesus. And what this shows me is that the gospel reaches every type of person. It, it, there is no respecter of status here, right? Jesus loves everyone and will save anyone who believes. And that's just the same today as it was back then. No matter what my status, no matter what your status, Jesus loves me and he wants to save me. But we need to finish the story, don't we? Keep going with me. Look at verse 35. But when it was day... The magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now, out now and go in peace. So he's like, Good news, you're free. <laughs> Look at Paul's response. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, condemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Oh, no, he says. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words back to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens because they had beaten them and imprisoned them um, against the law. And so they came and apologized to them and they took them out of the prison and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The magistrates say, you're good to go. Paul's like, no, no, no. You got to come here and do it right. You have to come to apologize and lead us out. You have to clear our names. And you have to, more importantly, clear the name of Jesus. Because what you did was wrong. And so they're scared. They're embarrassed. They come. They, they do it. They apologize. They bring them out. But they still ask them to leave the city. Because they still don't get it. They still don't believe 
in Jesus. They just don't believe in the message of Paul and Silas. They're like, we need you to leave. And right here, we finally come across the only status that can keep me from Jesus. There's only one status that can separate you from him. The status of unbelief. When you continue to choose not to believe, when you refuse to believe and trust in Jesus, then that's the only thing that can block you from experiencing his great love and salvation. Not because his love is lacking. Because you're lacking. You're lacking faith. You're lacking surrender. You're lacking the humility needed to worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. But here's the great news. When you lack belief, Jesus still stands and says, come. He's still calling out to you in love, saying, if you'll just believe, we're good. Just come and believe. I love you. I'm for you. Come to me. Forget your success. Forget your sin. Forget your shortcomings and believe in me today. That's Jesus talking to you right now. So the simple question is, do you believe? Do you put your faith alone in Jesus Christ? If so, he will save you right here, right now, regardless of your status. You just have to believe in him. Will you believe in Jesus today? Because my status, your status, never positions me beyond the love of the Savior. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, his love can reach you if you'll believe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just bow before you now. and Father, we just thank you, God, for this time to come together and to worship you. Lord, to be in your presence. Even though we can't necessarily be in the physical presence of one another, Lord, we're so thankful that we can be in your presence together. And Lord, we're just praying right now and thanking you for, for your awesome, long-suffering patience with us. Lord, that your love never runs dry. It never ceases. You continually shower us with your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you for loving us even when we don't think we need it. Even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for saving us, Lord, regardless of our status, if we will come, if we will believe in you. Right now, Lord, if there is anyone listening to this who still needs to experience your saving love in their life, Lord, I pray. I pray that they would respond right here, right now, to your spirit, and that they would believe in Jesus. Lord, meet us here. Meet us here right now. Remind us again of your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is bigger and that we can come to him today, our wonderful Savior. I pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.